Good morning. Uh, my name is Brooks Pepin, and the Old Testament reading today is found in Exodus 31, 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed... Oholiab, son of Ahishmach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Jordan. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Lori. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John four thirty-one through 34. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that, to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. I think I scared somebody there with my uh, solid jump. So I have to ask, um, how many of you guys are having uh, Glenn withdrawals? Anybody? Anybody having a little trimmer? I just need a little Glenn fix. You could, you could leave now and make it to the 11 o'clock up north. Um, again, I'm grateful that, that uh, there was no booze um, when uh, I booze. That sounds wrong. No one booed. That sounds better. <clears throat> there are no boos in here. But no one booed when they said, Glenn's gone again, so I... I'm, I'm really grateful um, to, to be here. I, I was a college pastor for 15 years, and um, this was about the size of our college ministry, um, about this size venue and size crowd. And so when I'm here, I, like, I just feel at home. So even if you don't like me, I, I, I like you, and uh, I'm enjoying you. Seriously, if you're, um, if you're enjoying this even a fraction as much as I'm I'm enjoying being down here. You're, you're doing okay. This is, this is going to work for at least another week. Um, I get the privilege of starting a brand new series this morning called God at Work. And I told a few people earlier, I probably read more in preparation for this message than any message I've preached in the last 17 years, which is, which is scary for you because it could go two hours. Um, <laughs> But I'm going to try not to rush and at the same time get us out of here um, at a decent time. Um, I, I learned this week that rushing um, has a cost. Um, I was uh, heading, getting ready to head home, um, and we had company in town. So you guys know sometimes if you're at home and your spouse is gone and the company's arrived, and they're like, where are you? Our company's here. So my wife starts texting, they're, you know, company's here, company's here. And I very quickly grab my phone, you know, send a text, 
and I typed, on my way, sinned. As I looked down, I realized it says, on my wallaby. <laughs> so I just, just wanted to start out this morning by saying, watch the autocorrect. On my wallaby. I, I had some explaining to do when I got home. That was supposed to be funny. You didn't laugh. Okay, may, maybe I'll get you later. Maybe I'll get you later. May, maybe not. Maybe not. So this new series, uh, God at Work, I think is so vital for us because I realized that most of us haven't thought about our work very deeply because we're too busy working. We just do it. We don't often step back and gain a new perspective on our work because we're just so engaged in it. Sometimes work is just right there. And so I'm fascinated by this idea of us stepping back. And the title of my message is Work Rediscovered. That we would step back and go, hmm, maybe there's more to this than I've thought initially. For most of us, we see work simply as a means to an end, right? We are working for the weekend. Or we're working really, really hard and socking away cash so that one day we can hang it up and just kick back on some mountain lake and just chill. Pull in rainbow trout all day long. That's what we're working for, right? But what we often overlook is that it's part of our very design, that work is intrinsic to who we are. Even a quick casual read of Genesis you see that God, in fact, is a worker. That we, in fact, are made in his image. A lot of times we think of work as a result of sin. Actually, work was kind of pre-fall. Now, granted, because of the fall, there is some added toilsomeness to work. The toil nature of work was added at the fall, but work itself is a part of who we are are because it's part of who God is. So when God said, it is good after he created the world, he did not say it is perfect. He said it is good, meaning that there can be further cultivation of the earth by us called work. And it's meant to have something incredibly significant and meaningful for us. And I think if I'm honest... For a lot of us, we've lost what God wants to give us in work, in learning to be co-workers with God. We've lost a lot of it, and we're just simply punching the clock nine to five. That's where we are. So this morning, I'm excited to see how God speaks to us. Um, I uh, was talking to Evan this morning, and I said, I said, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really lucky to be here this morning because my wife's out of town Therefore, I'm in charge of the kids for four days. Now, you might think, no big deal. You, well, you don't know me. Um, four kids for four days is, uh, it could get interesting. Let's just put it this way. When I was kissing my wife goodbye at the airport, she pulled me in tight and she said, honey, be careful. Don't let any of them die. <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence, right? Uh. So I have been enjoying my kids. I don't often think about the practical side of parenting. I just think, let's have fun. Let's go on an adventure. And 9 o'clock last night, we were at a lake an hour and a half away. And yeah, I have a three-year-old, and he hadn't eaten. And yeah, you know what happened. I don't even have to tell you what happened. Um, It's hard to believe that 12 years ago, I was just finding out that my wife 
um, was pregnant with our first. And I'll never forget that moment, right, when I got to meet our, my daughter, Olivia Grace Baker, for the very first time. And it was one of those, one of those amazing moments um, for a number of reasons. But one, because we, never, we didn't find out the gender. And so there was that long pause, right? It's a... And it's like, you're thinking, come on, tell me, it's a girl. And I grew up with three sisters. And I would have... I, I would have been thrilled either way, but there was something in me that kind of wanted a boy. Just because it, you know, I didn't, I didn't experience a lot of boy-ness growing up. It was more like four moms and me trying to hold on to my masculinity and having to spend 10 years recovering it, you know? I still like to dress up. Okay, that's a different message. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't, I really don't, I promise. But I was pleasantly surprised when my oldest daughter, at the age of three, took a strange liking to Superman. Of all the characters, right? It could have been Hello Kitty, could have been Disney princesses, could have been Dora Explorer. It was Superman. So much so that she would sneak at night into her little brother's room and steal his Superman pajamas and squeeze into them and come in. It's like, transform, I am Superman woman, right? And so it was wonderful, but I, I, and I loved that. I feel like this is kind of a boy thing, and she's, you know, I don't, I don't know whether to fuel it or discourage it, so I, I fueled it. Um, and so <laughs> we would sit around the dinner table, and I would say, uh, every night at dinner, I would say, I would introduce a new superpower, right? She hadn't seen really any of the movies, so I would say, Olivia, Superman, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes and blow things up. Whoa! She'd freak out. So we'd go through the whole thing. Like, he even can turn. Remember that scene when he turned back time? He, he flew around Earth so fast that it, the Earth spun, like, backwards. And he, no? It, you guys got to see Superman. It's incredible. <laughs> well, I'll never forget the night I told her. I said, Olivia, Superman can fly. She was like, whoa. And she, she, she stopped for a minute. She looked at me. She goes, can he walk, too? <laughs> <laughs> what? So those moments were like, what did you just say? Yeah, can, you, can, can he walk too? And I realized in that moment that for a third, three-year-old, walking hadn't lost any of its sense of wonderment. It was still like a joy that she could stand up and as a person, go, I'm going to go point A to point B. He can walk too. He's amazing, you know? <laughs> I think there's a lot of things like that in our life, if we're honest, that at one point, there was a sense of joy and satisfaction and meaning just embedded into it. But over time, we, we've lost it, right? I mean, that could be true of a relationship or your favorite album. I'm guessing your favorite album today wasn't, isn't your favorite album 10 years ago, right? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe some of you hold on to your eight tracks, like they're gold. We all lose that sense, right? I think this is especially true in our work. Think about your first job and when you were told you're hired and you went, oh, I have a job. And then like two weeks later, you're like, I have a job. I hate this place, right? Think about how much we've lost. For me growing up, it was that sense of like what I could be. I always had this idea that I was meant to be an F-16 fighter pilot. Dream, I dreamed of going to the Air Force Academy and being one of those guys. A disillusionment with work happens for a number of reasons. For some of us, we started out with this dream of, 
race car driver. And we ended up with mechanic. And so we spend our time going, that's what I wanted to do, and now I change oil and tires, and I, Indy 500 isn't exactly on my schedule. For some of us, though, disillusionment kind of caught us off guard because we went from winning the coloring contests to now we are this professional artist, but it's hollow. So we got what we were wanting, but in the end, it doesn't feel meaningful and significant. So for a number of reasons, work can kind of end up being like, ah, I don't like work. I just do work so that I can do something else that I actually enjoy. It's very fair to say that for many of us, we've lost the joy, satisfaction, and sacred nature of our work. Studies are constantly revealing that this is in fact the case. Recent study I I looked at said that 80% of Americans say they're dissatisfied with their job, which is a pretty just downer of a stat considering we spend 90,000 hours at our job over the course of our lifetime. On average, Americans hold seven to eight different jobs before they're 30. 40% say their job is very or extremely stressful. Some of your hands are just automatically going up and you're trying to hold them down. Yes, that's me. 64% of people said they canceled their vacation because of stress at work or the demands of work. And 24% of people said they checked work on vacation. I added my own stat to that. The other 75% are liars. (laughs) We're in need of rediscovering something, right? Something of what God intended for work. Our Old Testament reading was out of Exodus 31, and we, we, we learn about this guy named Bezalel. And I had them read that this morning so that I could see how they did it. Who is the young man who read that scripture? Raise your hand. Oh, there, props to the names. You, did, you hesitated slightly, but you, you came through. You came through. This is the first time in the Bible that we find that someone is filled with the Spirit. And isn't it interesting that the very first time that someone is said to be filled with the Spirit, God gives them special skills and abilities to do work. And not just any work, but to build the temple. If you read on in Exodus 31, this man is a craftsman. And these other men are craftsmen. And they end up building the elements for the tabernacle or or the temple. So a person is filled with the Spirit to accomplish something that shows who God is. You guys tracking me here? Isn't it beautiful? And then our gospel reading out of John, we see that Jesus says, I have a food that you know nothing of. His disciples were concerned. They'd been away from an area where they get food. Yeah, we're hungry, we're hungry. And Jesus had just finished ministering to the woman at the well. And he says, I have a food that you know nothing of. And my food is to do my Father's will and to finish the work that he sent me to do. So when, when we see Jesus doing what he did, you, you see from that statement, other places in the New Testament, that there was something, something deeply satisfying about what Jesus was doing in collaboration with his Father. It's beautiful. Ben Weatherington III offers this definition of work, and it's the best one I've ever heard. 
He writes this in his book, Work. Any necessary and meaningful task that God calls and gifts a person to do and which can be undertaken to glorify God and for the edification and aid of human beings, being inspired by the Spirit and foreshadowing the realities of the new creation. So as I wrestled with this idea of work and what I do in my nine to five and what I've seen those closest to me go through in their jobs, I was really kind of left with wrestling with one simple question. How do I rediscover? How do we rediscover the joy, the satisfaction, and the sacred nature of our work? Because if it's something that God designed us to do, and we see these elements throughout the Old Testament of people being empowered to do something that showed who God was. And we see Jesus working in collaboration with his Father and finding deep satisfaction. And I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to just punch my clock and, and simply get it done and realize, man, I thought about work all wrong. And I think us rediscovering what God intended begins with a mental shift. The first idea that I came to it was this, and how do we rediscover is that we need to see our work within the larger context of God's story. Can you imagine picking up a book like The Grapes of Wrath, right? The great Steinbeck novel, 600 and something pages, and opening it up like I have just done, and reading one sentence. Tom's eyes glowed angrily. Wasn't that powerful? No, it made absolutely no sense to you and to me. Even if you're familiar with this novel, it's 600 and something pages long, and I read one sentence. Why does it have no meaning? Context. Someone in the middle of this book says, oh, Tom's eyes glowed. Woo! That's awesome. That's powerful stuff. But for us this morning, we go, why, why did we read that? It's worthless breath. The same is true of our jobs. When we don't see our jobs in the context of God's larger story, it makes no sense. Have you ever gone to work and go, why am I doing this? This makes no sense. Now, granted, God may have some of us change jobs, but far many of us will simply need to allow the Holy Spirit to change the way we think about the job we currently have. There's a narrative that God is telling. There's a story that God is telling, right? He created the world, called it good. There was a fall. Something went horribly wrong in the world. Man could not repair it. Man could not stay faithful to God's promises, to God's the relationship with God. So God sent his son Jesus to make things right. And he is in the business of redeeming. And one day we will taste a new heaven and a new earth and all sin will be gone, right? He will wipe every tear from our eye. That's the narrative with which our job fits in. What am I saying? I'm saying that when you start to see your job as a part of the larger story, it changes everything. I met a man, incredible man, businessman, very wealthy guy, kind of guy you'd go 
somewhere with him and he'd pull out, I don't even know what credit card company is, but they issue like five of these cards. You know, it's for like the multi-millionaire person's like, I have the gold, black, platinum, silver. I mean, it's like this card. I don't know what's... Spe- it's a special... He has one of those. I don't know if that means anything to any of you, but it, I was impressed. Kind of. But what I was more impressed with was that as I talked to this man, as that I got to know him, was that he, in all of his business dealings, he had a really a huge heart for a country in the Caribbean. And so he, he decided to branch out and start a business there. And in doing so he decided to start a church within his business. So he was providing needed jobs, started this church, and I said, over our like third coffee, I said, why did you do this? What, what, why didn't you just kick back and, you know, finish things out? And he said, because I wanted to be a part of the story that God is telling. Story of redemption and rescue. Most of us don't need to change jobs, but rather allow the Holy Spirit to change our mind about our jobs. Now, you might be saying, Brad, it, it must be easy for you to get up there and say something like that. Like, you're a pastor. You can connect what you're doing to God's story very easily. Here's what I would say. I don't care what you're currently putting your hand to. If you ask the Holy Spirit, how does this fit? into the story that God, that I'm already telling, God, that you are telling, I believe he'll begin to show you that you can be a part of redeeming something, that you can be a part of showing who God is to other people. Look at this scripture, Romans 12 says this, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how God, how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. The NIV says, do not be conformed any longer, right, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the world would have us think about our job in one narrative, and this is usually the narrative. Get as much as you can while you can so that you can do what you want in the end. Is that really the narrative that we want to place our jobs in? Or do we want to see meaning and significance in every single day? I think a risky prayer for us would be to wake up every morning before we go to work and say, God, I want to be a part of the story that you're telling. I want to show other people what you're doing on planet Earth. This goes back to our worldview, right? The comprehensive description from which we interpret all of reality. How do you see your job? What, what piece does it play in your life? I like what Tim Keller said in his book, The Good Endeavor. He said this, Becoming a Christian is a lot like moving into a new country, only it's more profound, because it gives us a new perspective on every culture, every worldview, and every field of work. In the long run, the gospel helps us see everything in a new light. But it takes time to grasp and incorporate this new information into how we live and how we work. What if you let the gospel inform the way you think about work? What would change? 
So how do we rediscover this joy, satisfaction, and sacred nature of our work? The second thing I really wrestled with was this simple idea that we need to learn to work as a response to who God is and how he's made us. If the first one was about context, this second idea is about relationship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says this, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work. Listen closely to this part. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If our work is to be a response to who God is, then cultivating an intimate relationship with God is absolutely vital. Perhaps some of the emptiness that we feel in our nine to five is connected to our lack of awareness of God's presence and God's power with us at every moment of every day. Doesn't this change things? When you wake up, whenever your time with God is, when you're super focused, if you don't have one, figure it out, right? Figure out a time. Even if you start with five minutes, it changes everything because suddenly you go through your life not with this sense of draining deficit, but God has filled you up with something that you wouldn't have otherwise. And suddenly when you're working, whether you're a barista or you're a mechanic or you're a lawyer or a teacher, suddenly you're filled up with something from God and you're responding to who he is And it's going like this. God is bringing something here and you're going like this. God is pouring something into you and you're reflecting it out to the world. And suddenly, even a menial job, you feel like this is a waste of time. Suddenly, it's in full bloom because the gifts, or rather the fruits of the Spirit, are flowing through you. Let me ask you this. What job, what job would be meaningless If you as the worker were full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, would any job on the planet be meaningless if that was true of you as the worker? No. Your job, regardless of what it is, would be in full bloom and would have deep meaning, deep significance, deep purpose because you are there even doing simple things with a profound sense of destiny because God is literally pouring himself out of you into other people. Response requires proximity. When we press into the heart of God, we begin to respond. So that first part is we learn to work as a response to who God is and how he has made us. This is where some of us might need to think about the direction of our career. Because not only are we responding to God, but we're also responding to who he's made us to be. Design precedes function, right? We look at a baseball mitt and we go, okay, there are certain things you can do with that. There are certain things you could try to do with that but it would be really, really awkward to do the dishes with the baseball mat on, right? Some of us are trying to do the dishes with baseball gloves on. Just 
doesn't make sense. It feels clumsy. God can still work in an environment with that way, but eventually he wants that baseball mitt to be outside on the baseball field catching balls, right? So there's part of you that, that you may need to take inventory and say, God, if design precedes function, how have you created me? What have you given me to do? What have you put in my hand that I can put to work right now? Carrie and I, my wife, we have a family member, and uh, he had an incredible career um, with a couple different airlines, well-known airlines. He ended up starting, helping to start an airline in the Middle East. He and his wife are incredible. She actually came for a visit this month to our home, and you would not believe the fruit that is coming from their lives because they are looking at their work. They are learning to work as a response to who God is. So how does this look for them? They're in a Middle Eastern country and they are on their face every day with God, talking to him, enjoying him. And when they go outside of their home, guess what's happening? Muslims are coming to Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. She sat and told us story after story. And I'm like, man, talk about blooming where they've been planted. There's a lot of people their age, their stage of life that I, they would just think, why, why am I over here? Can't I, be, can't I be somewhere else? Kicking back. But they've said, no, God, we're responding to you. And here, here they are, right? He's not in a ministry role. He's running an airline in a Middle Eastern country. And yet because he's connected with God, who knows what fruit's going to come of that? An author named Gene Veith says this, the priesthood of all believers did not make everyone into church workers. Rather, it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. I love that. See, when Jesus came and he left the Holy Spirit, he put his Holy Spirit inside of us. Therefore, everything that we put our hand to, there is a sacred dimension to it. God is showing himself to us and others through our work, if we will but allow him to. I lit a quick inventory this week of all the different descriptions of God as worker. So you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Brad, this sounds all nice and flowery, but do you know my job? Do you know, I don't, I don't see how God could be at work in it. I don't see how really, like, it could be something of significance that I could find joy and meaning into it. It's interesting that in the scriptures we find God doing all kinds of stuff. And I think it's a reminder to us that he is involved in every aspect of life. Look at this. Potter, gardener, metal worker, garment maker, farmer, winemaker. I like that one. Shepherd, tent maker, builder, architect, composer, musician, 
any wonder that we reflect the diversity of who God is? It should be no surprise that God wants to be at work with us wherever we are. That we're designed to work in collaboration with God for his glory. And if we can start seeing our work in that way, it could change everything. This last thought. How do we rediscover the joy and satisfaction and sacred nature of our work? We choose to work for the glory of another and the benefit of others. Ephesians 4, 28, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Side note, if your profession is stealing, we'll talk later, but probably don't want to switch there, um, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Isn't it interesting that one of the purposes of work, according to the scriptures, is that we would work so that we could share, that we could be ready to give some of what we have. Perhaps some of the dryness we feel in our work is because we're simply just out there grabbing every single little bit, every single little penny for ourselves. That's not how we were designed. We read it right here. Be busy at work so that you can give to those in need. Did you know that in the Hebraic culture, you were not supposed to harvest the fringes of your field so that the orphan, so that the widow, so that the immigrant could come through and glean from the exterior. There was deep significance in what they were doing because they said, some people, for whatever reason, aren't working or can't work. And we work to help them. I don't know about you, but there's a deep sense of satisfaction in my work when I'm willing to give back to God some of what he has enabled me to make. Perhaps some of the dryness we feel is that we have an inlet, but like the Dead Sea, we don't have an outlet. And as a result, there's nothing living in our pond. It's just a salty lake. God says, will you give away? It's not always money. Sometimes you're giving away the expertise of your field to someone. Sometimes it's taking someone under your wing and mentoring them in what you're doing. And you, you, in reality, you're thinking, in, a, in the natural eye at first glance, this doesn't benefit me. But it's that counterintuitive part of the kingdom of God that we're all learning to live in, that when we give our life away for the sake of Jesus, then and only then do we experience the life that he called the abundant life, the true life. Our work would change if we'd be willing to, in the midst of it, give ourselves. My dad, he just turned 72 and... um, he is a lawyer. Um, and, you know, lawyers, are, it's one of those professions that there's lots of jokes, and understandably so, about lawyers. My dad, I think, breaks all the stereotypes of a lawyer, um, if, if you have negative ones. I'm not assuming anything. Um, but one of the things that fascinated me about my dad was he worked in this high-flying law firm in downtown Denver. But I would... Whenever I would trail him at work, he knew the name of every bellhop. He knew the name of every cleaner. He knew the name of every single secretary in his office building. 
He knew the name of the sandwich guy. He knew the name of the bus drivers. He, I mean, he, he, there was no status thing for him. None at all. That's the first thing I noticed about him. The second thing that fascinated with me, he practiced a lot of different kinds of law in his day, but part of his career, he, was, he, he could do divorces. And, and oddly enough, a lawyer that could do divorces was really into marriage ministry. And so what would happen is these people would come, I want a divorce! I'm, that's over! And he would say, okay, we'll sign the papers. Tomorrow, will you come to dinner with my wife and I tonight? I'd say, what? So here he was, many times, working himself out of a job. They wouldn't go through with it more times than not. Why? Why? Because my dad was saying, Here's my profession, but ultimately, God, it's about your glory, and it's about the benefit of other people. And I'm going to worry, I'm going to let you worry about my bottom line. (sighs) Do you think he loved getting up and going to work every day? Not every day, but most days, right? It changed it for him. He saw his, his work in the context of the larger story. Sure, he was a lawyer, but what he was really about was cooperating with God to redeem lives, to show others who God is. I don't care what you do. God wants to change the way you think about it. See, in the end, worship is the goal and the fuel of work. What do I mean? First, worship is the goal, right? In view of God's mercy, We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Big part of what we do, right, is our work. God, I see you. I want to, God, the goal of this work is that I just, I want to offer myself to you. Worship fuels our work because we want other people through our work to see God and then worship him as a result, right? What do we know from the scriptures? Live such good lives among the heathens. They may see your good deeds and what? Do a little dance? No. Praise your Father who is in heaven. See, today I feel like we're taking work out of the mud and the muck that it's been in for most of us, and we're dusting it off. We're going, whoa, there's more here than I thought. There's more here that I need to see. 